0: Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating show. My name is Jan Shaw, known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net and empoweredmanifestation.com. And today's show is on the subject of Q and Adrenochrome more shootings, audits and CNN exposed. And today is the 17th of April 2021 interesting number that the 17th we'll see what if anything interesting happens because of course seven q is the 17th letter so the interesting thing this hot off the press is to do with the health and freedom conference that's being held in oklahoma and apparently they have about four and a half thousand people in attendance and according to one clip i saw There were about half a million people watching online and there are various uh, people putting out links. Um, Yesterday was day one. Today is the second day. I believe it ends after today. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to find links to the recordings of day one. It's certainly being streamed live for day two at the moment. Um, I had an email from beforeitsnews.com and they have a link to uh, the recordings from yesterday. Um, but I, I came across a couple of interesting things on the Telegram channels that I follow. And that's why I titled the show, part of the show, Q and Adrenochrome. Because the interesting, the interesting thing is that they actually featured Jim Caviazel. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he's an actor who is playing Tim Ballard, I believe it is, in the movie Sound of Freedom, which is going to be released, I think, in the fall or third quarter. And this is to do with Operation Underground Railroad, which is um, a non-profit that basically their mission is to to free children from sex trafficking and human trafficking. And during the very short um, appearance of Jim Caviezel, he starts to talk about adrenochrome. And he talks about how it's produced through torturing and uh, terrifying children. And he got pretty emotional and saying, The people that do this will get no mercy. And so it was quite um, pivotal in terms of introducing this to the mainstream audience because this isn't just being watched by, you know, the Q followers, the, the patriots and so on. It's being covered by the mainstream media to a degree, I think. But also by the left um, leaning media. And one of the people presenting there was Lynn Wood. And I saw a clip, I haven't had time to watch the whole thing. I will go back and watch the recording. But Lynn Wood was speaking, and he actually mentioned Q, and he also drew a Q, Q sign in the air and got a standing ovation. Uh, Let me just read this article by Newsweek. Now, I know these people in Newsweek, I think, are are definitely uh, left-leaning. But this is the kind of outrage that comes out of the people that go after QAnon. And this was put out, let me see, uh, today, actually, this morning. And... It's titled, Lynn Wood's QAnon Gesture Sends Audience Wild During Oklahoma Conference. Pro-Trump attorney Lynn Wood received a standing ovation on Friday when he made Q gestures during a speech and appeared to link the QAnon conspiracy to a religious revival in the U.S. Wood, a prominent Georgia lawyer, was speaking at the Health and Freedom Convention in Tulsa, Oklahoma, He told the crowd that former President Donald Trump had won the 2020 election and was still president. He also took aim at Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Opposition to COVID-19 public health measures like face masks was a major feature of the conference. Wood spoke about people worshipping Satan and said millions of children had disappeared around the world. The QAnon conspiracy theory posits that there is an international cabal of Satanists who abduct children and its members include prominent businessmen and politicians. He told the audience that there was a battle between good and evil and went on to discuss his belief in the role that God would play in it. It would end permanently until the Bible says it will because every word in the Bible is true, Wood said. But we're getting ready to go through the second harvest. There's going to be a revival in America. The second harvest is a reference to the biblical book of Revelation, which some Christians believe predicts what will happen at the end of the world. Some Christians believe part of those predictions have already come to pass. Wood briefly discussed his personal life and his four divorces, jokingly comparing himself to the Hebrew King David, who had nine wives, to the appreciation of the crowd. But God forgave me, for as I've come to believe, God planned it, Wood said. He plans every detail of your life. He knows how many hairs are on your beautiful head, and he uses your sins and he uses your shortcoming to teach you so that when the time comes that he's ready and you've been learning, watch out for this next move. He's going to rebirth you into the spirit world and create exactly the person that he intended you to be, Wood said while drawing a cue with his right index finger. There's your cue, he said, drawing the letter in the air again. Q. The audience applauded and some began cheering in what quickly turned into a standing ovation for Wood as he made another cue. That is Q, he said. What that cue mean? Don't you ever give up hope on this country, Wood continued, and went on to praise Trump, saying they had spoken by phone following the presidential election and claiming the Republican had won in November. He won the presidency, and here's the person that we, the people, selected, Woods said. Donald J. Trump is still the president of the United States of America. He is your president. So um, Newsweek obviously didn't like that idea that he was talking about Trump being president, but we all know that's absolutely true. And there are photos of General Flynn, who also speaks at the at the conference, there's um, General Flynn, Lynn Wood, and Mike Lindell of My Pillow, and they're all, you know, standing together, looking extremely happy. So I think it's very encouraging, just the fact that they're not looking worried about whether, you know, Biden is going to be kicked out and Trump is actually publicly acclaimed, acclaimed as the true president. So we'll see how things continue to unfold in the coming weeks. So the other interesting thing that we're seeing happening is multiple shootings. And it's a combination of mass shootings and police shootings, as in police shooting criminals um, who were carrying guns. And, of course, what we're seeing is uh, reactions from BLM and Antifa using it as an excuse to re- restart the riots and the looting. Obviously nothing to do with the um, the deaths or anything. It's just a good excuse. Let's go and loot things. Interestingly, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has just introduced a law that increases the the, the punishment for Looters and rioters, because of course it's not a protest when it turns violent and um you know they start wrecking stores and everything else um It's quite ironic that companies that supported b l m who who actually donated to b l m have actually had their stores looted, which is you know supreme irony. So let's see, what have we got? We've got um, a 13-year-old who had a gun who was shot by the police. Interestingly, the mainstream media coverage of it edited the body cam video so that it didn't show him holding a gun. And um, that was really to try and claim that the police had shot a child who was unarmed and and there are um, i 've seen some sh- some i was going to say shots, which is a bit ironic i 've seen some images that are close ups from the body cam actually showing he had a gun in his hand and showing the gun on the ground so there 's no doubt that he w- he was armed, and you know the 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 left is using the shootings to try and push the um, banning of guns. They're going against the Second Amendment. But as X-22 report said, quite quite honestly, how did a 13-year-old get a gun in the first place? Because he couldn't have got it legally from a gun show or from a, a dealer. He must have got it on the black market or it was maybe parents' gun. But they're obviously wanting to take guns away from patriots, from um, law-abiding Americans. Uh, But we're not fooled by the fact that, you know, the the criminals will still have guns. It'll just mean that the rest of us will be unarmed, unable to defend ourselves. And it's just the same with drugs, you know, the hard drugs, that it doesn't stop criminals dealing in drugs it just you know pushes the price up and pushes it underground but the the drug dealing continues so you know it doesn't take many brain cells to work out that taking guns off people who do follow the law is actually going to reduce any incidence of shootings. And we have to also consider whether these are false flags that are being staged deliberately in, in some cases just to push this agenda. Um, the other one that we had, which was late this week, Thursday night, I believe, was the shooting at FedEx. And eight people were killed and, and quite a number of people were injured. Epoch Times reported on this particular shooting, Uh, this was yesterday, the 16th, police identify suspect in Indianapolis FedEx mass shooting. Um, FBI agents last year interviewed the gunman who fatally shot eight people at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis, the Bureau said Friday, as investigators searched the home of the 19-year-old former FedEx employee. Coroners began the slow process of identifying the victims as family members spent hours agonising over word of their loved ones. The shooter was identified as Brandon Scott Hole of Indianapolis. Deputy Police Chief Craig McCart told a news conference. Investigators searched a home in Indianapolis associated with Hole and seized evidence, including desktop computers and other electronic media. McCart said... Paul Keenan, the special agent in charge of the FBI's Indianapolis field office, said Friday that agents questioned Hole last year after his mother called police to say that her son might commit suicide by cop. He said the FBI was called after items were found in Hole's bedroom, but he did not elaborate on what they were. He said agents found no evidence of a crime and that they did not identify Hull as espousing a racially motivated ideology. McCart said Hole was a former employee of the company and last worked for FedEx in 2020. McCart said he did not know why Hull left the job or if he had ties to the workers in the facility. He said police have not yet uncovered a motive for Thursday's shooting, but added that law enforcement officers seized a gun from him last year. McCart also said authorities are still identifying the victims and that not all of the victims' families have been notified. Hull started randomly firing at people in the parking lot and then went into the building and continued shooting late Thursday night, McCart said. He said the shooter apparently killed himself shortly before police entered the building. Sounds rather like an MK Ultra operation to me. There was no confrontation with anyone that was there, he said. There was no disturbance. There was no argument. He just appeared to randomly start shooting. McCart said four people were killed outside the building and another four inside. Several people were also wounded, including five who were taken to the hospital, McCart said. He said the slayings took place in a matter of minutes. Officials with the coroner's office began the process of identifying victims Friday afternoon, a process they said would take several hours. Police Chief Randall Taylor noted that a significant number of employees at the FedEx facility are members of the Sikh community, and the Sikh coalition later issued a statement saying it was deeply saddened to learn that Sikh community members were among the wounded and killed. The agonising weight by the workers' families was exacerbated by the fact that most employees aren't allowed to carry cell phones inside the FedEx building, making contact with them difficult. When you see notifications on your phone but you're not getting a text back from your kid and you're not getting information and you still don't know where they are, what are you supposed to do? Mindy Carson said early Friday, fighting back tears. Carson later said she had heard from her daughter Jessica, who works in the facility, and that she was okay. She was going to meet her, but didn't say where. And jumping down a little, President Joe Biden said he had been briefed on the shooting and called gun violence an epidemic in the United States. Too many Americans are dying every single day from gun violence. It stains our character and pierces the very soul of our nation, he said in a statement. Later, he tweeted, we can and must do more to reduce gun violence and save lives. And we know what he means by that. It is it's it is just um, an agenda to take the guns away. So he really jumped on that. And that's why I wonder if these aren't false flags. And my feeling is shared by one of the commenters on this article. as says, I hate that this kind of stuff makes me feel like a conspiracy theorist. Am I the only one thinking Manchurian candidate? How many of these shootings have happened since the inauguration? I know there were a few during President Trump's administration, but this seems to be a lot of shooting in only two and a half months. And a reply to that was, have you also noticed there are more shootings when there is a a gun control bill ready to be voted on? So, yeah, it's very suspicious. And going back to the 13-year-old who was shot by the police, um, Hillary Clinton decided it was time she weighed in on this, and this is Gateway Pundit reporting, and this was from yesterday. Another child killed by police. Hillary Clinton fans the flames after Chicago street gang Latin Kings threatened retaliation for shooting death of Adam Toledo. Twice-failed presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton fanned the flames on Friday after notorious street gang Latin kings threatened retaliation against Chicago police officers following the shooting death of 13-year-old gangbanger Adam Toledo, a.k.a. Lil Homicide. Now, that term is very interesting. We have a different meaning for gangbanger, which I won't go into, but it it was uh, interesting to see that as the description. And this... This article actually has a photo of Hillary Clinton. And I can say quite categorically that this is not the real Hillary Clinton. Definitely looks like a body double. And she's uh, not looking good at all. (laughs) On Thursday night, Chicago police released extremely graphic body cam footage of a police officer shooting a 13-year-old gangbanger. And an identified police officer fatally shot 13-year-old Adam Toledo on March 29th. Chicago officials only released the video on Thursday night. Same night, of course, that it was the FedEx shooting. Interesting. <clears throat> Adam Toledo, a.k.a. Lil Homicide, was armed as the officer chased him down an alley. Adam Toledo threw his handgun moments before the police officer fatally shot him. The Democrat media complex is putting police officers in danger by purposely lying about this story. CBS News shared deceptively edited police body cam footage where they trimmed the right and left edges away to omit the portion of the video that shows Toledo holding a firearm. Hillary Clinton piled on another child killed by police, she tweeted, making it sound like cops are hunting down innocent children. Going to work, walking in the street or being black, Latino or Asian-American should not be a death sentence, she said. And it shows a a screenshot of the tweet. Violent clashes between police and left wing rioters erupted in Chicago Friday night in response to the shooting death of Adam Toledo. Uh, This is a tweet from Brendan Guttenschwager melee at Logan Square Park as a police clash with the crowd in the streets here at the end of tonight's protest for Adam Toledo. And it's got a video included in it. So obviously they're using these incidents, A, to promote the um, gun control agenda and B, to incite these riots against, you know, the police. And of course that is linked to their agenda to defund police. And we even had um, Rashida Tlaib. She put out a tweet saying, you know, we need to stop incarcerations, policing and militarization. In other words, just let these criminals go free and let all the existing criminals that are incarcerated out on the streets. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. But... Uh, You know, I will go back to my original theory that this is being done to show the true agenda of the um, certainly of the Democrats and the deep state in terms of really turning this country into a socialist stroke communist nightmare, basically controlling all the, um, you know, the residents of the country taking away all their freedoms we've seen it with covid and we're seeing it in these incidents that are trying that are going to um you know lead to gun control if they succeed so hopefully it's waking up a lot of people people are seeing that biden is not following through on the promises you know he's um there was something reported today about the the promise he made before the election that he would stop all the forced uh, purchase of land on the border for the construction of the wall. And there was an article saying that an Arizona family had actually had their land seized and were most upset that Biden had not prevented that from happening but there are all sorts of other things that as we know that he's done in terms of his executive orders um, that are undoing all the good things that Trump did Uh, so wake up people let's move on to these audits that are happening Uh, the election audits and the first one I want to cover is the Arizona audit I did cover some of this last week and This is Epoch Times. Oh, sorry, just the news, not Epoch Times, just the news. And the article is Arizona Senate on the verge of beginning major audit of Maricopa County ballots. And I think this was published. um, Let me see. This was actually this morning. The Arizona Senate is poised to begin a major audit of over two million ballots cast in the 2020 election in the state's largest county, a process the State Senate President claims has been stymied by county officials and which the county claims rests on legally uncertain ground. Senate subpoenas to the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors for information and equipment needed to perform the audit have been pending since December 15, 2020 and were upheld by a judge on February 25th. In mid-March, the State Senate announced that Republicans in that chamber will be conducting a broad and detailed review of Maricopa's ballots, one that would involve testing the machines, scanning the ballots, performing a full hand count and checking for any IT breaches, among other approaches. Legislators have been working to hammer out the specific details of the audit in the weeks since. State Senate President Karen Fan tells Just the News that the actual audit process will begin within the next week. Actually, I believe it's been set for to begin on the 22nd. The state Senate faced a battle in court in order to proceed with the audit, Fan noted, one that ultimately went in favour of Arizona Republicans. It's taken the Senate two and a half months to win in court to uphold our right to issue subpoenas for election material, she said, and another six weeks of researching to select the audit team to perform the full forensic audit. Fan claimed that state Republicans have faced sabotage from Maricopa County's Board of Supervisors. The Maricopa Board of Supervisors has refused to allow us to perform the audit at their facilities, she said. And I actually covered this last week. And she continues, and has gone so far as to refusing to even answer simple questions such as how are the ballots sequestered? The Senate recently secured a 20,000 plus square foot facility known as the Coliseum at our state fairgrounds to perform the audit, Fan said. Officials have arranged for 24-hour physical and live tr- streaming security she added, and the audit teams are assembling and transporting the equipment and personnel to Arizona with an expected start date of April 22nd. Asked what the Senate hopes to find, Fan denied any presumptions on the part of legislators as to how the audit will go. The Arizona Senate and the auditors have no expectations of findings, she said. We are performing the full forensic audit to either dispel our voters' concerns or... If a problem is uncovered, we must fix the problems before the next election. We have never accused anyone of fraud or misconduct, whether it be the hardware, software or actions of personnel, she added. We hope there is no intentional illegal tampering, but if found, we will turn the information over to the state and federal attorney generals for their further legal action and we will proceed to make the appropriate corrections. Affidavits signed by Arizona residents since the November election suggest some problems with a large amount of mail-in ballots that should not have been sent to residents who have moved from the known address or have passed away, fans said. We hope this audit will help us understand how to correct those errors. Reached for comment via email, Maricopa County spokesman Fields Mosley said fans' claims regarding the county's pushback were not a surprise. Moseley said Arizona Republicans voted to hold the members of the Board of Supervisors in contempt as the board sought clarity from the court about the subpoenas for ballots, tabulation machines and some other election materials. He provided just the news with an email sent Thursday from Maricopa County Attorney Alistair Adele to the Senate's audit liaison stating that Though the county did initially provide the Senate with hundreds of thousands of pages in subpoenaed documents, it declined to produce the voted ballots, tabulators and other subpoenaed material because the county did not believe it was lawful for it to do so. The county has been waiting for direction for a month and a half regarding when to deliver the remaining subpoenaed materials, Adele added. Meanwhile, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chairman Jack Sellers notified Fan in an email earlier this month that the planned audit is not a joint effort between the county and the Senate Republican caucus. And last week I reported on how Hillary Clinton's attorney, Mark Elias, was brought into this situation. And this is a follow-up by Gateway Pundit. It was uh, published on Thursday Breaking exclusive, Hillary's attorney, Mark Elias, inserts himself into the Arizona Senate audit of Maricopa County. Is using his massive network to broaden his attack. What are they hiding? The National Democratic machine is in panic mode over the upcoming Arizona Senate's Maricopa County ballot audit. Last week, the Democrats sent in its national fixer, attorney Mark Elias's firm, Perkins Coy, to throw around threats and make the audit go away. Today, Elias took to the media in his effort to badmouth the audit. The stakes are astronomical for the Dems. After all, the November 3rd 2020 election steal gained them the presidency and control of Congress. The swing states in which the 2020 election steal occurred are key to uncovering the truth and proving the fraud in the election and Arizona is one of those states. Today, Elias published a piece on the far-left Democracy Docket website. Republicans in the Arizona State Senate are determined to carry on with yet another unnecessary audit of the Maricopa County 2020 election results. They've hired private firms to conduct the audit, including one led by a conspiracy theorist, who has promoted Trump's big lie and other election fraud fantasies. And now the state Senate is accepting outside donations to fund the audit mere days after Governor Doug Ducey, Republican, signed new legislation banning private donations to county administrators to help support timely, safe and secure elections. A move Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, Democrat, said was to satisfy the conspiracy theorists within his own party. Elias goes on to claim it is unfair that the Senate is soliciting funds to help pay for the audit, but neglects to mention the audit is costing more money because the corrupt Maricopa County Board of Supervisors won't allow the Senate to perform their audit in the facility where the ballots are housed. Elias also doesn't mention that the Board of Supervisors wasted tens of thousands of dollars on two garbage audits that provided no value other than to provide the supervisors the clean bill of health they wished for. Clearly from the start, Elias and the Democrats and their friends are trying desperately to hide something. The Senate will be conducting an audit of the 2020 Maricopa County elections because the Maricopa Board of Supervisors utterly refused its responsibilities in delivering a transparent, honest and accurate audit for Maricopa County citizens. The Senate has hired four teams to conduct the audit, led by cyber ninjas, according to Arizona Central. The Senate said the scope of the work includes scanning all of the ballots, a full manual recount of the 2.1 million ballots cast in the election, auditing the registration and votes cast, as well as the vote counts and the electronic voting system. At the bottom of Mark Elias's democracy docket alert, he sends his loyal base to an April 12th Tucson.com article by a progressive-leaning reporter, Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services, the guy who has had a a monopoly on progressive media output in this part of Arizona for decades. With the honorary title of the Dean of the Capital Press Corps in Arizona, Fisher has been reporting since 1982 and, in quotes, at last count he has 24 separate publications, dailies and weeklies, plus provides audio to KJZZ. Fisher also regularly provides content to NPR radio stations in Arizona, whose content is the furthest left of any media source in the United States today, according to data from the respected investigative reporter Cheryl Atkinson. This demonstrates a smooth, seamless connection between attorney Mark Elias and his democracy docket and Four Pillars Lawfare operation and its related Democrat-progressive co-opted non-profit empire and Howard Fisher, the far-left progressive media mouthpiece, and his empire in Arizona, Capital Media Services. Elias controls the strings of not only a mammoth U.S. non-profit cabal of 400-plus NFPs and a related U.S. progressive attorney network of 40,000-plus attorneys, but he also has his finger on the pulse of the network of top progressive reporters which favorably cover Democrat progressive issues in any states where Elias Or and or Perkins Coy have got lawfare action going. These Democrat progressive weapons are all being pointed directly at the Arizona Senate and the four firms it has hired to conduct a transparent, accurate and truthful audit of the 2020 Maricopa County election results. They need to shut the audit down. What are they hiding? And interestingly... They definitely are panicking and they definitely are hiding something because (coughs) inventor Jovan Pulitzer says he was offered $10 million to stay quiet about voter fraud in 2020 elections. And this is an article from the (coughs) DCPatriot.com. Excuse me. Inventor Jovan Pulitzer says he was offered $10 million to stay quiet about voter fraud in 2020 elections. In a recent interview with David K. Clements on The Professor's Record, data analyst Jovan Pulitzer says he was offered an insane amount of money to just stay quiet about the election and voter fraud. So you know how bad this is, and I'm going to give you a nugget that nobody outside of my inner circle knows this, he says. I got offered $10 million to not do this. He continued, I have no price, it can't be done. This is about America, there isn't enough money in America to turn as communist and to sell out America. I'll take a bullet to the head and maybe that's what's waiting for me. Pulitzer became famous after the 2020 election issues but he's been in and out of public life for the better part of a decade with inventions and patents that have helped shape our world today. They tried to discredit the man in hopes that nobody would look at his astounding work in demonstrating how voter fraud was perpetrated during the 2020 election. When that didn't work, they tried a different approach. Pulitzer's work may be starting to get some positive news as work in Arizona, Georgia and now Nevada is starting to work towards actual audits happening and audits he will be a part of. Currently, the Arizona State Senate has ordered an audit of 2.1 million ballots, as well as machine audits and hand-counted ballots will also be audited. Pulitzer testified in December before the Georgia State Judiciary Subcommittee as an inventor and pattern recognition expert, claiming that he had invented technology called kinematic artifact detection that can check the authenticity of ballots using a forensic scan that can detect different types of inks, paper fibres and fake squiggles to see if the ballots in question came from China or not. While it appears that this unusual tech will not be utilised in Georgia, Pulitzer is claiming that it will be used in the election audit currently underway in Arizona, despite the fact that he himself is not involved in the audit process. In addition, Pulitzer is a board member at Gold Institute for International Strategy, a think tank regarding strict national security issues. And he has also authored a book entitled How to Cut Off Your Arm and Eat Your Dog, plus Other Recipes for Survival. I'm intrigued to know what that book's about. (laughs) Pulitzer is working with a group of patriots with the help of the We the People Alliance PAC, along with fellow patriots and politicians like Matt Couch, Jeremy Oliver, Anna Kate, George Papadopoulos, Eric Nook, Pastor Brian Gibson, among others. Stay tuned, America. There are many not giving up on this fight for our nation. And there's more news on the audit front. (coughs) New Hampshire governor signs SB 43 into law, mandates audit of Wyndham's fraudulent 2020 election results. This is from the 12th, which was uh, Monday, I believe. Um, update: This is breaking news by activist and reporter Ken Airing at Granite Rock. The Windham Act SB forty three was signed into law today, and this is another Gateway pundit article. Governor Chris Sununu signed the bill into law on mon- on Monday, and here's the governor of New Hampshire from the governor's desk, Concord, New Hampshire. Today, Governor Chris Sununu issued the following statement after signing SB 43 into law authorising an audit of the Rockingham County District 7 state representative race. New Hampshire elections are safe, secure and reliable, said Governor Chris Sununu. Out of the hundreds of thousands of ballots cast this last year, we saw only very minor isolated issues, which is proof our system works. This bill will help us audit an isolated incident in Wyndham and keep the integrity of our system intact. So I won't uh, read the rest of that. Um, I want to move on to uh, my next topic. And this relates to the Project Veritas expose of CNN. And let me read, there's a couple of articles on this topic. Um, CNN staffer claims network pushed propaganda to get Trump out of office under cover video. This is Epoch Times, published on the 14th. A CNN staffer was caught on hidden camera saying that the network during the 20 worked during the 2020 presidential election to produce content that would help lead President Joe Biden to victory. The first of three recordings were published on April 13th by investigative journalism nonprofit Project Veritas as part of an expose on CNN. Charlie Chester, a technical director at CNN, was secretly filmed by Project Veritas during a number of fake Tinder dates set up over the past month. He suggested that if it weren't for the network's propaganda, former President Donald Trump would have won the presidential election. Look at what we did. We got Trump out, Chester said. I am 100% going to say it, and I 100% believe... Believe it, that if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know that Trump would have got voted out. He told the undercover reporter who pretended to be a nurse during the fake dates that he decided to work at the network because he wanted to be a part of that. Our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? Without saying it, that's what it was, Chester said. The CNN staffer claimed that his network produced propaganda that sought to help defeat Trump in the 2020 election by, for example, creating a story that questioned the former president's health that we didn't know anything about. Trump was, I don't know, like shaking his hand or whatever. We brought in like so many medical people to like all tell a story that like it was all speculation that he was like neurologically damaged, that he was losing it, he's unfit to, you know, whatever Chester said. We were creating a story that we didn't know anything about. When asked by the undercover Project Veritas journalist about whether the network had any concerns about Biden's health during the election period, Chester said that CNN often showed clips of Biden jogging and wearing items such as aviator shades to paint him him as a young geriatric and to show that he's healthy. CNN wouldn't make news of the incident where Biden was filmed tripping upstairs, a huge story. You talk about that briefly, Chester told his date. CNN didn't immediately respond to a request for comment by the Epoch Times. Project Veritas in October 2019 conducted an undercover investigation on CNN, which showed staff members saying that all the cable news network covered was left-leaning bias, sensationalism, with an incessant focus on Trump. Like Chester, they largely blame their issues with the network on its top leadership, particularly CNN president Jeff Zucker. In one video released by Project Veritas, a CNN staffer said that Zucker has a personal vendetta against Trump, at least partly going back to when Trump worked with Zucker on The Apprentice reality TV show. And then another topic that was covered... um, In this date or several dates, (coughs) CNN had urged producer to push COVID-19 death numbers for ratings, tech director recorded as saying. Again, this is Epoch Times and it was also um, Wednesday. A CNN head has personally intervened to order the cable network staff to display the number of people who have died of COVID-19 in the broadcast, according to CNN technical director, who was caught on hidden camera making the comments. The goal was to boost ratings, the director said, explaining that fear really drives numbers and is the thing that keeps you tuned in. Covid? Gangbusters with ratings, right? Which is why we, CNN, constantly have the Covid death toll on the site. On the side, I should say, which I have a major problem with, with how we're tallying how many people die every day. The executive, Charlie Chester, is heard in the video as saying to a reporter with Project Veritas, an undercover journalism non-profit. Sometimes, Chester said, he would be told by his director to pull the death count down only for the head of the network to intervene. The special red phone rings and this producer picks it up. You hear murmurs and every so often they put it on speaker and it's the head of the network being like, there's nothing that you're doing right now that makes me want to stick put the COVID death toll numbers back up because that's the most enticing thing that we did or had. So put it back up, Chester said, in the video published on April 14th. He didn't mention names, but CNN chairman is Jeff Zucker. CNN didn't immediately respond to a request for co- for comment. Um, and it goes on to talk about what uh, was covered in that previous article about um, obviously working to get Trump out of office. And we know that this was what was being done by the mainstream media, not just CNN, but others as well. So, you know, it's very interesting that this is being exposed just at the same time that we're going to get this audit from Arizona, which can really, you know, throw everything into disarray when it's proved that there was election fraud and that Trump actually won that county and I'm, we have no doubt about that so this is also showing how <clears throat> how the networks were were complicit in trying to engineer this coup to get rid of trump i mean it, it's it's actually treasonous to do this and we know that this was what they were doing so they're actually incriminating themselves through this um this project varitas expose so It's interesting to see that things are happening and also with what's going on at the Health and Freedom Conference as well, um, all sorts of fun things going on. And obviously, in terms of COVID, we know that they were hyping all the dangers of COVID and, you know, scaring people into complying with all these um, attacks on our freedom. And they're still trying it now. I mean, Fauci's still out there. You know, talking about, where well, you've still got to wear masks and you've still got to social distance and pushing the vaccine like there's no tomorrow. But um, anyway, it's good to see it being brought out into the open. Um, interestingly, Twitter then permanently banned Project Veritas founder O'Keefe. This is, again, Epoch Times. This was on April 15th. The Twitter account James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas, was permanently suspended. On April 15th, following a series of recordings, the undercover journalism nonprofit posted as part of an expose on CNN. A Twitter spokesperson didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. However, other reporters said the social media platform told them that O'Keefe had been banned for violating the Twitter rules on platform manipulation and spam. Twitter pointed to a section in the company's rules which states you can't mislead others on Twitter by operating fake accounts and you can't artificially amplify or disrupt conversations through the use of multiple accounts. At the time of the suspension, O'Keefe had over 900,000 followers. A link to his profile now shows a screen that states account suspended. O'Keefe told the Epoch Times he had heard something about a Twitter source reportedly saying the ban was due to running a network of accounts that claimed to be things they weren't. He said the social media company would be emailing him momentarily with a formal reason. O'Keefe later posted a screenshot on Telegram of the email Twitter sent to him regarding his account. That email said he was permanently suspended specifically for fake accounts used to manipulate Twitter conversations. I don't know what they think, that I'm a Russian bot, O'Keefe said in a phone call. I don't know what they're talking about. We just did the CNN thing for three days. I guess we are too effective. In a statement sent via text, O'Keefe said he will sue the social media platform for defamation. I'm suing Twitter for defamation because they said I, James O'Keefe, operated fake accounts. This is false. This is defamatory and they will pay. Section 230 may have protected them before, but it will not protect them from me. The complaint will be filed Monday. And then it goes on to explain what happened with the CNN tapes. I won't go into that because I've already covered that. But interestingly, you know, the response on Twitter was, "Well, so you've you've suspended O'Keefe for exposing CNN. Why haven't you suspended CNN for putting out fake news?" Well, we know the answer, but uh, it's very interesting that Twitter have really showed their hand shown their hand on that one. Now, I just want to cover a little bit on the vaccine situation. Um, the Defender put out an article um, and it's talking about the latest VARES data show reports of blood clotting disorders after all three emergency use authorization vaccines. And this is um, from the organisation Children's Health Defence, which is run by robert kennedy jr um it says VARE's data released today showed 795 reports related to blood clotting disorders with 400 attributed to pfizer 337 to moderna and 56 to johnson and johnson between december 14th 2020 and april 8th 2021 Data released today by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on the number of injuries and deaths reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System (VAERS) following COVID vaccines revealed reports of blood clots and other related blood disorders associated with all three vaccines approved for emergency use authorization in the U.S. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson. So far, only the J and J vaccine has been paused because of blood clot concerns. VAERS is the primary mechanism for reporting adverse vaccine reactions in the US. Reports submitted to VAERS require further investigation before a causal relationship can be confirmed. Every Friday, VAERS makes public all vaccine injury reports received through a specified date, usually about a week prior to the release date. Today's data show that between December 14, 2020 2020 And April 8th, a total of 68,347 total adverse events were reported to VAERS, including 2,602 deaths, an increase of 260 over the previous week, and 8,285 serious injuries, up 314 since last week. Of the 2,602 deaths reported as of April 8th, 27% occurred within 48 hours of vaccination, 19% occurred within 24 hours and 41% occurred in people who became ill within 48 hours of being vaccinated. In the US, 174.9 million COVID vaccine doses had been administered as of April 8th. This includes 79.6 million doses of Moderna's vaccine, 90.3 million doses of Pfizer and 4.9 million doses of the J&J COVID vaccine. This week's VAERS data show 19% of deaths were related to cardiac disorders, 55% of those who died were male, 43% were female and the remaining death reports did not include gender of the deceased. The average age of those who died was 77 and the youngest death was an 18-year-old. There are a few reported deaths in children under 18, but these reports contained errors. As of April 8th, 408 pregnant women have reported adverse events related to COVID vaccines, including 114 reports of miscarriage or premature birth. Of the 678 cases of Bell's Palsy reported, 59% of cases were reported after Pfizer-BioNTech vaccinations, 38% following vaccination with the Moderna vaccine, and 24 cases, 4% of Bell's Palsy, were reported with J&J. There were 77 reports of Ghislaine-Barre syndrome, with 55% of cases attributed to Pfizer, 40% to Moderna, and 10% to J&J. There were 20,021 reports of anaphylaxis, with 47% of cases attributed to Pfizer's vaccine, 46% to Moderna, and 7% to J&J. Reports of blood clotting disorders in VAERS. Children's Health Defence queried the VAERS data for a series of adverse events associated with the formation of clotting disorders and other related conditions. VAERS yielded a total of 795 reports for all three vaccines from December 14, 2020 through April eighth. Of the 795 cases reported, there were 400 reports attributed to Pfizer, 337 reports with Moderna and 56 reports with J&J far more than the eight J&J cases under investigation, including the two additional cases added Wednesday. As the defender reported today, although the J&J and AstraZeneca COVID vaccines have been under the microscope for their potential to cause blood clots, mounting evidence suggests the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines also cause clots and related blood disorders. U.S. regulatory officials were alerted to the problem as far back as December 2020. And CDC ignores the defender. No response after 39 days. And the article goes on to say how they had uh, requested information about um, these reports and also um, what investigation they're doing to determine whether it, the deaths were a result of the vaccine or unrelated and there's a lot of data other data coming out Um, I did actually get um, a report which just let me find that this was produced um, it's called frontline workers testimonies and Vare's reports and it's dated the 21st of March it's actually 113 pages and it's it's going through all the incidents of adverse reactions and also the deaths that have happened. And I guess, you know, my, I'm not a medical professional, but there are so many doctors who are really in the know about this across the world saying, don't take this experimental vaccine that isn't a vaccine. And there was a, a video produced by a, a very emotional nurse in in the UK talking about how the nursing staff, the medical staff were being pressured into taking these vaccines. Um, And she went into detail about, you know, how it does affect the DNA. It potentially affects the DNA and um, what it consists of. And she got very emotional when she talked about them forcing these vaccines onto the children and that it really was, you know, a a genocidal action to do, um, because these are experimental. And she pointed out that the um the animals that were used in the in the original tests all died. And I think that related to the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then another vaccine, I'm not sure if it was the J and J. But anyway the macaque monkeys were apparently used in the experiments and they all got very sick so you know they're pushing these experimental vaccines on people with really no idea of what the long term impact of putting this this messenger rna and in the case of johnson johnson is actual dna into the human body and as she said you know it's like transhumanism because it it can it can alter your um genetic makeup your DNA and she cited an example of a disease and I can't remember which one it was basically saying that that serious disease was caused by the the malfunction of one gene a single gene so basically saying You know, if if the genetic makeup is altered, even just one gene, it can massively um, affect the human body. And it's interfering with, you know, our God-given natural makeup. So, you know, really bad news. So, as I've said before, I will not be getting this vaccine. <laughs> and just to end on a slightly lighter note, a bit of uh, humour here, this is Gateway Pundit. Um, it was worse than we thought. No one met Japanese Prime Minister at the White House door except stationary army guard. And this was uh, published this morning, so <laughs> it's uh, a complete mess up again by the Biden administration. In a highly disrespectful and embarrassing move, Kamala Harris welcomed Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga to the White House on Friday. Joe Biden was nowhere to be found as Kamala Harris welcomed Yoshihide Suga, the first foreign leader, to visit the Biden White House. But it was way worse than we originally reported. No one met Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga at the door when he arrived. The only one standing there was a stationary army guard. Compare and contrast. And this is a tweet from Rosie Memos. How a real POTUS greets foreign leaders. It's not that complicated. Here's how President Trump greeted Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. And it's got a video uh, showing Trump at the door. With there's a marine saluting next to him and another guard holding the American flag. Um, and conservative Treehouse reported Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga was the first world leader to visit the White House since Biden's installation. And the poor form began with no one greeting the head of the Japanese government upon arrival. When you consider the leftist narrative about stopping Asian hate. There is a rather ironic aspect to this visit and snub. Once Prime Minister Suga was inside the White House, he was shunned for the greeting by his diplomatic peer, Joe Biden. Instead, Kamala Harris was dispatched to deliver introductory remarks. Beyond the inappropriate form, the subtle message of Kamala Harris being the acting head of the executive branch was on display. Then, when Vice President Kamala was sent down to greet the Japanese Prime Minister, she she spent more than a full minute trashing the US as a violent place as Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga stood next to her, waiting to be introduced. Good morning. I briefly want to discuss the tragedy that occurred in Indianapolis last night. Yet again, we have families in our country that are grieving the loss of their family members because of gun violence, Kamala Harris said, as the Japanese Prime Minister stood next to her. After ranting for more than a full minute, Kamala Harris finally welcomed Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga to the White House. What a disgrace. And it shows the video of that all happening. So there you have it, you know, a complete farce again. As I've said before, I think we're watching a combination of a thriller-stroke horror movie interspersed with comedy and farce. And uh, it, it just... You just have to laugh sometimes. Okay, so that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and uh, that you'll join me for another show next week, uh, another cosmic creating show. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing. And just as a reminder, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net and empoweredmanifestation.com. Thank you very much for listening and stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jan Shaw, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Live long and prosper.